it's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. It's time for season five. Can you believe that? I kind of really have a hard time believing that. In fact, if my math is right, which is not often the case unless I'm doing a spreadsheet and one day maybe I'll do a whole episode on how much I love to do spreadsheets, but I'm pretty sure this is either my 69th or 70th episode, which seems insane. I have enough ideas to definitely get me through another 10 seasons or so with some fun interludes, which is probably overkill. But as long as this is still amusing me, we'll keep on going and hopefully you'll stick around for the ride. But this season is special. This season, we're talking about one of my favorite pop culture corners, probably, probably my favorite, to be honest, Jim Henson and his Muppet creations. My love for all things Jim Henson, it runs deep like really (laughs) deep into my soul. I was born and raised on Muppets, like many awesome humans who first arrived to this planet in the 1980s. I remember one afternoon in particular when my parents loaded my brothers and I into the car for a surprise trip to our world-renowned children's museum. It wasn't a place that we went to often. We didn't have a membership or anything, but every once in a while, as a special treat, would we, we would get to go, and we were ready ready to just kind of run wild through all of the exhibits, touching and exploring everything we could get our hands on. They had this really cool science center where I could be standing on one side of the room, my brother be standing on the other, and they had almost like the tin can phone thing but it wasn't 10 cans it it was um it was amazing it was very cool it's much different now still very cool but it's a it's a little hard to go in for me because I miss some of those nostalgic things but we were ready to do all of that they insisted we keep our cool my parents did and head down to the bottom floor where at the time the museum put their traveling temporary displays and I remember excitedly rounding the corner and laying my eyes on Kermit the Frog. I mean, the Kermit the Frog. He was tucked away in a glass case surrounded by his Muppet friends in their own cases with photos of Jim and props and memorabilia from all of their adventures. It was, it was a traveling Muppet show. I was in love with Kermit. I, I'm not embarrassed to admit that there was, for a short time in my youth, a time where I was convinced that I would marry him one day. <laughs> I was ready to take on Miss Piggy and had steeled myself for a lifetime of listening to horrible jokes from Fozzie the Bear because it was a kind of package deal, Kermit and Fozzie. I was ready. My love was pure. But alas, alas, it was not to be. And it was a dark, dark day when I came to terms with the reality that I would not be bonded in holy matrimony (laughs) with a compassionate, funny, high-strung fabric frog. Despite my loss, though, of course, my affection for all things Jim Henson has never wavered. There is something magic in what he created, something genuine and heartfelt. It takes a true artist and storyteller to breathe life into inanimate objects, igniting the imagination and building a world where the impossible can actually exist, where amphibians ride bicycles and bears do stand up and pigs become fashion models. Henson made a world believe in pigeon-loving neighbors and talking giant yellow birds, that puppets can create a marketable, successful Broadway show, and that maybe, just maybe, hidden in the ground underneath our feet is a thriving community of architecture-loving free spirits who love radishes. So that's what this season is all about. It's about the magic of the Muppets and the storytelling of Jim Henson and his production company. Sadly, I feel like some of that magic has disappeared, that The juggernaut that is Disney has taken away the heart of who the Muppets are and what they stand for. They've attempted to modernize them in a way that doesn't work because they're turning these Muppet characters into shells of who they were created to be. And I know 
modernizing needs to happen and you have a world that is online and streaming is a thing and so you've got to rethink the Muppet show and but when you change the personalities of the characters when you change their ambitions and their dreams and their hopes and how they come off to the audience I think you're doing something wrong with that storytelling they also chose a performer who sounds nothing like Kermit to be his new voice and I just I can't with that (laughs) it is so hard to listen to Kermit the Frog right now. It breaks my heart. And that's all I'll say about that. We're staying positive. We're focusing on what Jim created. So today we are going to kick it off with that first movie that kind of started it all. Of course, The Muppet Show was a thing. People were familiar with The Muppets from The Muppet Show and from Sesame Street. But this was the first theatrical release of The Muppets. And that, of course, is The Muppet Movie. So let's kick off this summary. So this is Kermit and friends reminiscing about breaking into Hollywood as their first movie together is about to launch. We we start the, at the movie lot as the Muppets plan to kind of screen their film. And in typical mush, Muppet fashion, it's pure chaos as we get to see a bit of the personalities of each of the crew. Kermit, the main man, greets everyone until he's rudely interrupted by Miss Piggy to stop talking and rolling the film. You've got, you know, the, the fish flinging Muppet and you've got Sam the Eagle and everybody's talking at once. And it's just you, you start to see them individually as as characters, but also as a group and they're hilarious as a group and so it begins this movie begins with a frog the frog oh the frog sitting in a southern swamp playing his banjo and singing the legendary song rainbow connection the first song i sang to each of my nephews uh, and i (laughs) sometimes messed up the words and they would start to giggle and it's one of my fondest memories Uh, it's a melancholy hopeful song about dreams and wishes and we'll talk about it a little more at the end As the song ends, Kermit meets a stranded fisherman that has lost his way, Dom DeLuise, who just happens to work in Hollywood and knows that a talent scout is on the hunt for a good-looking frog to be in the movies. And boy, do we have the best-looking frog. DeLuise encourages Kermit to head west so that he can make millions of people happy. And that's what he decides to do. He hops on his bike, and he heads out on the open road. I kind of wonder where he was keeping his bike, because he's just, like, sitting in the middle of the swamps on a log with a banjo. How he got to the middle, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to ruin it with this. I'm not going to ruin it with this. He he has a bike stored somewhere. It's fine. And he's able to swim without getting his banjo all wet. It's fine. It's fine. So he's on his bike and he's out on the open road. And that's where he starts to meet all of his Muppet friends along the way. He also meets Doc Hopper, a restaurateur, I guess, who wants Kermit to be the the spokesperson for him, for his, um, famous frog leg delicacy which is just creepy and wrong so the first friend he finds is Fozzie who's telling jokes in a skeezy establishment called El Sleezo he's it's not going well as one would expect because as sweet and as friendly as Fozzie is he's decidedly not funny so Kermit kind of feeling the awkward wanting to help this guy out the stranger out he hops on stage wink wink and they start doing a terrible jig which goes even worse than the jokes Uh, And after taking a ride on the ceiling fan when things get rowdy, Kermit invites Fozzie to travel with him to Hollywood. Luckily for them, the bear has a Studebaker so they don't have to ride tandem on the bike. Quick, quick side note. There is a great show. They only did one season of it. I hope they're going to do more. 
on Disney Plus called Prop Culture, where this guy goes around and he talks about all of the different props that are still out there that you can find from different movies. Um, there's some from Mary Poppins, Tron, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Pirates of the Caribbean, which is really cool because, like, the the if I remember correctly, the costume designer just kind of stayed on the island that they filmed on. She's like, nope, this is home now. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Chronicles of Narnia, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then they also did this the Muppet movie, this movie, and the Studebaker is actually somewhere in Indiana in a museum, which I thought that was lovely. I just, I don't think it's actually out for exhibit at the moment, uh, but I just like the fact that it's it's here in Indiana, or was at one time. That's where its home was. Anyway, so um, they don't have to ride tandem on the bike because this bear's got the Studebaker. And so they kind of head out towards Hollywood. The first leg of the journey includes a literal fork in the road, a song, of course, moving right along, do-do-do-do-do-do, has the best line. Hopefully we'll get to it in a little bit. I think we will, yes. Uh, and a chance meeting with Big Bird, who is headed for New York, New York City to break into public television, which I think is a great cameo, too. Then they run into Doc Hopper again, who just won't take no for an answer. That's another song in The Muppets Take Manhattan, though. Uh, after escaping his clutches again, though, they stop next to a little white church for a break, but their nap is interrupted by some totally groovy music, and that's when they meet Dr. Teeth on the Electric Mayhem, who decide to disguise the Studebaker so that it won't be recognized while they also sing a song, which is one of my favorite songs from the movie. Uh, they think disguising the Studebaker is painting it groovy colors, which actually just makes it stand out more. But no one's saying that Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem have stupendous ideas. So after leaving the church back out on the road, they have a little car trouble when they run into Gonzo and his, we're going to call it his girlfriend, Camilla, a, a chicken. The cars actually end up roof to roof, which just doesn't seem right according to physics, but that's that's the car trouble. Um, and they start talking to Gonzo. Gonzo has a dream of moving to Bombay to become a movie star. It's in this exchange uh, that we get the, the penultimate Muppet movie quote that I thought was in the song, but it's not. And it's, we picked up a weirdo, Bozzy says to Kermit about Gonzo, and it is it is my favorite. I say it a lot to different people about different things. Um, and I've always loved Gonzo because of his weirdness. So it looks like the Gons and Chicken will be traveling with the frog and pig from, not the pig, the frog and the bear. We haven't gotten to the pig yet. From here on out. So they'll end up selling both of their vehicles for a new ride that won't be recognized. So they stop at this car lot. Sweetums comes out, which you don't get a lot of cameos by Sweetums the Muppet. Uh, kind of a I mean, it's a grown human in this Muppet. It's not Marionette, but he's in one of my favorite things, The Frog Prince, which we'll talk about at the end of the season. Uh, but you don't get to see him very often, and he smacks a fly on the sign of a car that turned the car from like $1,000 into $1 or something like that. So they get they get a new car. That way they can hopefully stay away from Doc Copper. Then they stop for a break at a country carnival where they meet Miss Piggy who has just won a beauty pageant, of course. She lays eyes on Kermit and immediately starts to daydream a song sequence where they get married. I get it, Piggy. I totally get it. But this pig would be impossible to be around. Kermit, though, invites her to get ice cream, but she thinks it's an invitation to go with him to California. So now they're stuck with her. <laughs> and then Gonzo, who was trying to impress Camilla, buys too many balloons and ends up on a floating adventure. 
kind of reminiscent of the future Pixar movie Up. So he is just holding on, taking a ride on the wind. The next thing you know, Kermit and Piggy are on their first date with the worst waiter ever, Steve Martin. I mean, they're they're not on a date with the waiter. I feel like that came out. The waiter serving them on their date is awful. There we go. So Piggy chooses to take a phone call in the middle of the date, spoiling a romantic moment. So Kermit goes inside the restaurant and has a musical number with a new friend, Rolf the dog. Kermit's kind of down because Piggy, you know, broke up their fun. And so they have a nice little song, him and the dog. And then Kermit gets a phone call. It appears that Piggy has actually been kidnapped by Hopper, who's holding her hostage until he agrees to be in the Frog Lake commercial. Hopper has plans then to use a professor of mind control, who turns out to be Mel Brooks, <laughs> to make the frog's brain into guacamole so that he's more compliant. It's an odd choice for a plan. But Miss Piggy comes to the rescue by breaking free of captivity, which she does all the time in all the movies, and causes a ruckus as only she can. And then she leaves Kermit again. But never fear, less than a minute later, our traveling companions find her sitting on the side of the road. <laughs> right before the car breaks down and they're forced to camp in the desert for the night. Kermit feels crummy that he's not going to get the group to Hollywood in time for the big audition. And Gonzo sings a melancholy song, something the Muppets excel at sweet and sad moments that are somehow filled with hope. We'll talk about that song in a bit. And Kermit argues with himself that he never promised the others anything, but he realizes he promised himself this chance to make it big. Then he hears music and finds out that the Electric Mayhem had read the screenplay. Because so back at the White Church, uh, instead of going into a full exposition of this is what's happened in the movie so far, Kermit and Fozzie give Dr. Teeth a copy of the script so that he can catch up without them having to kind of relive everything that's happened. So since they have the script, they've read the screenplay and they know they need to go pick up the crew. So everyone gets on the band school bus to see if they can still make it to California in time. Things are going well until the bus gets pulled over. It's Hopper's lackey who actually wants to warn Kermit about a trap the restaurateur has set for him just a few miles away and that his employer has hired <laughs> has hired a frog assassin. <laughs> I love this movie so much. Kermit decides to face off with Doc Hopper. You know, let's stop running. We're getting nowhere. So he plans to confront him heading into a ghost town. That's where everyone meets Professor Honeydew and Beaker, who have set up a lab in an old saloon because that just seems right. And they're working on Instagrow pills. But the effect is sadly temporary, as Beaker would say, except he does it a little more incoherently. Hopper shows up and Kermit goes into full high noon mode complete with the cowboy hat and spurs sexy frog and kermit pulls out a green a great speech about dreams and being a good man hopper isn't the man kermit hopes he is and decides to kill our hero anyway but is stopped when animal eats one of the honeydews insta grow pills and scares everyone away because he gets huge huge crisis and potential murder adverted so the muppets show up at the agency's offices for the audition and get to meet orson wells who's playing lou lords a famous producer he gives them a contract and their movie is made coming full circle to the movie making process and finally the screen room the end <laughs> a few interesting tidbits about the movie 
Jim Henson spent an entire day in a 50-gallon steel drum submerged in the pond for the opening scene of Kermit the Frog in the Swamp, singing Rainbow Connection. In a 2004 interview, John Landis revealed that he was the puppeteer for Grover during the final sequence. So at the end of the movie, they kind of start to pan out, and it's all of the Muppets, including a lot of our friends from Sesame Street. Uh, as Since usually... Frank Oz was the puppeteer for Grover, but since he was busy operating Miss Piggy, Landis got to do it. It was also noted that Tim Burton was amongst the many puppeteers in the finale, which is kind of crazy. When Animal accidentally eats Dr. Bunsen Honeydew's Instagrow pills, he memorably balloons through the roof. Jim Henson refused to use a normal puppet on a miniature set to accomplish this effect, so his crew had to construct a gigantic animal head that measured 60 feet. I love their attention to detail and how so much of this, and I think we'll see it more and more as the movies progress, and we talk a little more about some of the engineering feats that these artists came up with to make these creatures come to life. Part of that lost magic is CGI, that you that they don't problem solve in that way anymore, and it doesn't feel as real and as genuine as it did back in the 70s and 80s. The closing reprise of, is it reprise? Reprise? I never know. Of Rainbow Connection featured a crowd of more than 250 Muppet characters, virtually every Muppet that had been created up to that point in time. According to Jim Henson's archivist, Karen Falk, 137 puppeteers were enlisted from the Puppeteers of America. That's a thing. Along with the regular Muppet performers to perform every Muppet that there was. Prior to the day-long filming of the shot, Henson gave the enthusiastic participants a lesson in the art of cinematic puppetry. Amazingly, it did just take one day. Before this, no movie had a hand puppet act with its entire body appearing on screen. That is, hand puppets were only seen from the waist up, and it became a major plot point to show Kermit with legs. And so you get to see him ride a bike very shortly in this one. And when he's walking out in the ghost town to confront Hopper, you get to see his legs too. The song I'm Going to Go Back There Someday was one of Jim Henson's favorites, and Gonzo's performer Dave Goles performed it at Henson's memorial. That's so sweet. And in 2009, the Library of Congress selected the film to be preserved in the National Film Registry. Love that. So what did the movie get right? Just about everything. <laughs> it got everything right, guy. It's a bit dated with 70s references, especially about Harry Krishna, but it did exactly what it needed to do for fans of The Muppet Show. Lots of cameos, because that's what the show was all about, bringing on those guest stars. Lots of songs and a cast of characters that are quirky and fun. And at the heart of everything the Muppets do is hope and friendship. They have a leader that isn't perfect, but is kind and compassionate. They mess up, they fail, and they try again. I imagine they reveal a lot about who Jim Henson was as a creator and a dreamer. So I thought it would be fun as we go through, because most of the Muppet movies are also musicals, to rank the songs. And we're going to do it like from my least favorite to my favorite within the movie. Uh, and I do have to say that I think that m- that this may be the most solid musical outing of the Muppets, maybe. I love the Muppet Christmas Carol, and it's almost perfect. It's almost perfect, except for the fact that they completely stopped the movie with the downer of the song When Love is Gone. Thank goodness it's widely accepted to leave that song out. Uh, but I, I really like every single song that's in I have decided, though, not to include Fozzie's rendition of America the Beautiful, (laughs) 
because it's very short and it's a song we already know so it's not like it's an original and the finale the magic store in this list america is short Fozzie singing is rough as can be expected and while the magic store includes the talents of a lot of the different muppets it's primarily instrumental so it's gonna be out so number six so there's six songs in this one number six goes to never before never again i totally get wanting to break into song when you see kermit the frog and you realize you love him because i kind of want to do that every time i see him it's just that one of the songs has to end up in the last spot and all of the other songs in the movie of all of the other songs in the movie this is the one that i tend to skip when i'm listening to the soundtrack which i do from time to time it should be noted however that frank oz is a national treasure national treasure and a few seasons from now i'm planning to kind of touch base on some of the movies that are my absolute favorites that i haven't had a chance to talk to and one that frank oz directed is in that list if you haven't seen death at a funeral watch it because we're going to be talking about it later but he is a national treasure on so many different levels number five i hope that something better comes along this ranking hurts a little more than I thought it would. Rolf is one of the most underappreciated Muppets in my opinion and a song with Kermit is a highlight of the movie. I love them both together but in the ranking this is just where it's falling. Number four, moving right along. It's one I sing in my head a lot. There is music almost constantly playing in my head and one thing I love about myself is how weird and varied that playlist can actually be at times. It's Kermit's but a bum, but a bum in the chorus that are chef's kiss. Subtle but wonderful. So if I'm going somewhere, I will often move and write along to do, do, or if I'm working on something at work, that line is constantly playing in my head. I didn't sing too much of it to bother you. Woo. This gets hard when I talk about music. It's hard not to sing for you. But I do like you too much, dear listener, to do that to you. Number three, I'm going to go back there someday. Gonzo oh, gets me every time. Next to Scooter, Gonzo is definitely one of the most melancholy of characters. Sad and sweet, hopeful and depressing, weird and courageous, a lover of the strange. He contains multitudes, and this song is so lovely. I love it so much. Number two. Can you picture that? Electric Mayhem. It's just so groovy. And we get solos from everyone in the band. It's not a it's got a good beat and the perfect introduction to the group. I just I love it. And but number one, to no one's surprise, the number one position just has to go to Rainbow Connection. It lets Kermit's tenderness shine. It's about the human nature to dream and hope. And I think that's what Kermit is all about. He's the embodiment of hope. And I think what I love so much about Kermit, other than his sexy green color, is that he's not perfect at it. And he's never, you know, he he makes mistakes. He says the wrong things. He wants to give up from time to time. Uh, but it's that kind of unending hope that that desire to be a part of something fun and big and beautiful for the world. That's why I love him so much. So why is this worth the rewatch? Should you be considering a, re- a rewatch? The cameos are top notch. You've got Edgar Bergen, Milton Berle, Mel Brooks, Dom DeLuise, Elliot Gould, Bob Hope, Madeline Kahn, Carol Kane, Cloris Leachman, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, Telly Savalas, Orson Welles, Paul Williams. It just, they, they pick great people that you can tell now, you know, can tell that want to be there and be a part of that. There's also a great bit that they do throughout the movie where they say the word myth, 
but it gets confused for Miss. So what's her name? Um, Carol Kane comes in all the time. Is like, yes, pretending that somebody is asking for her. It's not as funny when I try to say it to you, but it's a great little bit in the movie. Uh, as an adult, each of the cameos kind of hit much differently than they did as a kid, but it's a worth a rewatch to see these people pop up, especially since most of these people are not around anymore. So the rewatch is definitely worth it for the cameos. I would also say, even though my introduction to the Muppets was the was with Sesame Street, with the Muppet movie, you really get to see the personalities of each of the Muppets emerge, and they have them. And before Disney got his hand on the intellectual property, the character of each of the Muppets was consistent and beautiful. Kermit is the reluctant leader with the heart of gold. Fozzie is the hopeful comedian who is sweet and stupid. Piggy is the ambitious diva with plans and confidence. Gonzo is just, he's Gonzo. He's beautifully weird. Ralph, Ralph goes with the flow and has an old soul. Scooter is helpful and organized. Professor Honeydew and Beaker are borderline dangerous and crazy. And the Electric Mayhem are just groovy. And I love that you get to see snippets of other Muppets as well that you will come to love as we kind of continue on with the theatrical releases. Oh, you should rewatch it, really. It is so, so good. But that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening, really. It is so appreciated. I hope you come back for the next episode when we are going to be talking about The Great Muppet Caper. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. You'll get that next episode automatically popping up in your favorite podcast app. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who just doesn't really know what they're talking about well, they can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook is a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. And I